From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome aboard, and also welcome aboard to The Conspiracy Show family to KLVT AM 1230, Lubbock, Texas, our newest affiliate. Uh, they'll be uh, broadcasting the program starting in early July. So we'll add that to our growing list of affiliates as the tentacles of the conspiracy show spread out across North America and perhaps into your community soon. Just looking at uh, some of the great that we've posted uh, on the In the News section on um, uh, richardserrett.com, which of course is your portal to the Conspiracy Show radio program, richardserrett.com. The one that uh, I've been uh, just sort of reading uh, over and over again is this, Create Your Own Backyard Pharmacy. Check that out. Many people have really, I can I safely say, an, an over-reliance on pharmaceuticals. I know people that are taking, you know, 30, 40 different medications, and some of them are conflicting with each other, and they take them to the pharmacy, and they say, you know, should I be taking these? And, and the pharmacist sifts through them and says, well, that is not good because you're taking this. And it's it, it's running people's lives. They spend all day, hours and hours, just trying to manage their medications. And if there's a way that you can toss some of those out and just grow them in the garden... That's the way we used to medicate, right? They were plant-based medicines. Now they're all synthetics. So if, if there's a way we can get back to the garden, let's do it. Anyway, that's just one of the stories that we've posted on the In the News section, along with John Hopkins scientist blasting the Centers for Disease Control for pushing the flu shot. That's a great story as well. In the news section, richardserrett.com. Hey, just look who walked in. Our good friend from Zealand News Network, the executive director, no less, Victor Vigiani. How are you? I am just fine. Your words about the pharmaceuticals, my goodness, it's just amazing. You watch sometimes on TV and you see the advertisement and then the the caveats at the end may, may cause death. And, you know, or whatever, you know, it's just, it's amazing how, um, the pharmaceutical companies use those last few seconds of the commercial to, yeah, they're two minutes long now. And the last 90 seconds are the side effects. Exactly. And it's very devastating to, to people that are, they feel they have to do it, Richard. They feel they have to consume these things in order to, uh, but they really don't. But that's another story altogether. Well, uh, but it's it's all sort of interrelated, I suspect. I mean, when you when you come into this room, we talk about UFOs and ET uh, uh, disclosure, and uh, somehow you know, and a lot of that is wrapped up in free energy course, and, yeah. and uh, yeah. advanced uh, technology. Uh, but perhaps you know the. Uh, Health health concerns are also wrapped up in that, and pharmaceuticals. Well, uh, you know what it is. It's, I'm convinced that it's part of the systemic lie that people are living every single day. It's just something that they take for granted. Their whole lives are consumed by this this non-reality that we're involved in. You know, take this kind of medicine, take this flu shot, uh, believe in this politician because he can bring nirvana to you. Meanwhile, once they get into office, it's just a proffering another set of lies about the, the reality that that politician wants to bring, uh, you know, to, to, to his constituents. It's all, you know what, they're all interconnected. I see very, very little difference between the pharmaceutical companies and the, the UFO issue and free energy and global warming or glo- whether, it's all interconnected. There's no real boundary, but then I think media is teaching us that there are boundaries between those things and you shall not cross those boundaries. 
boundaries. And that's part of the systemic the lie system that we're all involved in, which is a very, very unfortunate part of our existence. Well, recently you and I were talking to uh, Stephen Bassett, the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, and uh, Thomas Clearwater. Uh, those two gentlemen are really the driving forces be- be behind the recent citizen hearing on UFO ET disclosure. Mm-hmm. We just revealed on the program Thomas Clearwater was sort of the deep pockets behind this. Here's a Canadian oil man who stepped out uh, and put his money where his mouth is and funded this hearing and uh, the ensuing documentary project. But, you know, based on what we're talking about now, I, I think we would agree what we need are disclosure movements on, on many different fronts, not only on on, uh, on uh, pharmaceuticals, but also, you know, the financial systems that are crumbling before our eyes, uh, and, of course, the UFOET issue. And to that end, uh, one of the, the key witnesses, in fact, uh, uh, Stephen Bassett recently said that, that it was the, the testimony of this individual we're about to welcome onto the program that he thought was one of the most poignant, powerful moments in the, um, the some 30 hours of, of eyewitness testimony at the citizen hearing. And I speak, of course, as a, uh, a former U.S. Air Force captain um, who talked about a UFO incident at Melmstrom Air Force Base back in March of 1967 where it was reported that 16 nuclear missiles became non-operational at two different launch facilities immediately after guards saw UFOs hovering above. And with that said, we welcome to The Conspiracy Show Captain Robert L. Salas. Hello, Robert. Welcome. Hello, Richard. Can you hear me okay? We can. It's great to have you on the uh, on the program. I gave sort of a thumbnail sketch of uh, the events in March of 67 at Malmstrom. Uh, but if I could just get you to, to flesh that out a little bit, uh, just spend a few moments uh, talking about where you were, what happened uh, in March of 1967 at Malmstrom Air Force Base. Sure, yeah. I was first lieutenant in March of 67, uh, assigned to a missile crew of two. Uh, two of us, uh, my commander was uh, Fred Mywald, um, later retired as a full colonel. But on March 24th, uh, we were on duty at uh, what's called Oscar Flight. Uh, we had control of 10 nuclear missiles, um, and we had all the uh, controls underground uh, in a capsule, a concrete capsule. And uh, we had about six or so security guards upstairs. Uh, uh, we were about 60 feet underground, so we had no way of knowing uh, or seeing Topside. Uh, we just had communications uh, directly with the guards. Uh, first, uh, they reported some strange lights in the sky um, uh, sometime in the middle, of, uh, sometime in the evening. Uh, I was on duty. My commander was taking a rest break, and uh, I, I didn't uh, didn't pay much attention to it. Although the report sounded very strange, that these lights were moving at fantastic speeds. Uh, these guys were saying these are not aircraft because, you know, they're very familiar with aircraft, uh, doing some very strange maneuvers. And um, I kind of hung up on that call. But then uh, about five minutes later, he calls back, and this guy is very frightened, screaming into the phone, saying they're looking out at the front gate. They see a glowing red object about 40 feet in diameter, uh, uh, just hovering there, sitting there silently, uh, pulsating uh, red light. Scared to death. They had all their uh, weapons drawn, um, and they wanted me to tell them what to do next. I, I told them not to let anything inside the front gate, uh, and uh, then he had to go, and uh, so we hung up, and I was about to report these 
calls to my commander who was taking a rest break. But uh, before I could do that, uh, uh, we got a lot of bells and whistles in the capsule, and missiles went no-go, or they were disabled, shut down while the, this object was still up there. We lost all ten. Uh, originally, I had reported uh, we lost six because uh, my commander, Fred Mywald, when I had first contacted me, he said, well, uh, he didn't know how many, and uh, he didn't think they had all gone. But um, So originally, I, I, we kind of compromised. I said, well, maybe six of them. And I think that's where uh, Victor came up with that number 16. But it, it was later verified uh, by um, one Robert, uh, um, let's see, Robert Jameson, um, who was the maintenance guy that went out there and um, and brought our missiles back online. Uh, he said that all ten went down, and, and of course that's what I had remembered all along. Um, uh, so we did lose ten that evening, and uh, when it was re- reported to the Base, the uh, command post told uh, Fred Mywall that uh, the same thing happened uh, previously, and that was the Echo Flight incident. So, and uh, later on, we were able to get uh, the um, testimony of uh, Walter Fiegel, who was on duty at Echo Flight, which is a, another flight similar to ours. It was about 40 miles away, and on March 16th of 67. He lost uh, all 10 of his weapons while UFOs were seen above the launch facilities by by maintenance personnel and by security guards. So uh, that's basically the story. The um, we've got testimony. We've got witness testimony from uh, Fiegel, Mywald, myself, um, and uh, Jameson, uh, man by name Arneson, who saw. Um, uh, Telex uh, stating that, yes, uh, UFOs were seen during the missile shutdown. So we've got quite a strong case. We've got documents, and um, I've recently done some more research. Um, we can talk about that a little later, but I've included that in my new book, uh, which I call Unidentified. Uh, how does uh, one... Excuse me, Robert. Uh, yeah, ex- uh, yes, tell me, tell me a little bit more about uh, this new book, Unidentified. You've just, it's just been published? Yeah, I just published it uh, about a month ago. Um, uh, what I've tried to do is, uh, first I revisited the Maelstrom incident. I, I wrote the first book uh, along with James Klotz, my investigator. Uh, it's called Faded Giant, um, and it talks about the basic incident. But um, there were some uh, errors in that, uh, minor errors, because we didn't have uh, complete, uh, we didn't have all the facts yet, but so I've revisited the case and uh, also made the connection through um, other other documents uh, about the cover-up that was going on by the Air Force uh, in collusion with the Condon Committee because the Condon investigation was ongoing uh, at the time of the incidents. And uh, I've, I've, I've now got evidence that shows that the Condon investigation was a, a whitewash and there was a collusion between them and the Air Force. We're coming up on a break here shortly, but I, I want to throw this question out to you and mm-hmm. uh, we can at least begin this discussion. And that is, how does one fill out a report 
that 10 uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, nuclear uh, warheads, became non-operational after, you know, this UFO sighting. How does one write such a report? Where does that report end up? And and, um, you can explain when we come back, I guess, the fallout from that. Robert Salas, Captain Robert L. Salas, is with us uh, talking about a UFO incident in March of 1967 in which 10 nuclear missiles under his watch became non-operational at Melmstrom Air Force Base in March of 67 uh, when UFOs were seen hovering just outside the gate, no less. And this was all testimony that he repeated before the six congressional or former congressional members at the citizen hearing uh, in late April, early May down in Washington. We'll come back and discuss further. Victor Vigiani remains in studio from Zeland News Network. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Uh, say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network uh, joins us in studio. On the line is Captain Robert Salas. Uh, whose testimony was included in part of the 30 hours of testimony before the citizen hearing uh, back in late April, early May uh, in 1967, March of 67. Uh, then Lieutenant Robert Salas uh, was in charge of the uh, nuclear missiles at Melmstrom Air Force Base and described to the, the, uh, the panel of um, former congressmen how... Those 10 nuclear warheads became non-operational after UFOs were seen hovering around and over uh, the base. Uh, Robert, before the break, I was asking you how one fills out such a report. Uh, do, does one uh, just, you know, describe it the way it was, or do you have to be, is there, is there politics involved when you're writing out such a report? Were you mindful of how this might appear to your superiors? Uh, you know, this is an interesting question, um, Victor. Uh, actually, I didn't write any report. Uh, what I, I may have done, and it's been so long, but I, I, I probably kept a log of my conversation with uh, the security people upstairs and a log of the events. Um, uh, but when we were, we were ordered back, to the base immediately after we were relieved to uh, report to our squadron commander's office. And uh, I certainly thought that he would want uh, us to write a report, a detailed report, uh, of what had happened. Uh, but as we walked in, and um, my, my commander, squadron commander, uh, Colonel Eldridge, was uh, uh, <laughs> what is a sheet. I asked him point blank what the hell was going on. Uh, what happened? I mean, it was just, uh, you know, waiting to hear him say, you know, this was just an Air Force exercise, just trying to test you guys, see how alert you were and all that. But uh, he was one as a sheet. He shook his head. He said, I, I have no idea what's going on. And and standing next to him was um, a man from AFOSI, Air Force Office of Special Investigation. And he had already prepared... Um, a statement for us to sign, and uh, this was a specific statement saying we would uh, never, ever speak about this incident to anyone and uh, talk about our incident specifically. And uh, and 
which was a surprise to me because we all already had a lot of top secret clearances. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, somebody told us not to say anything about something that was classified, which we sure wouldn't do it. But now he wanted us to sign this specifically, a non-disclosure statement, so we both signed it. Uh, so I was never supposed to talk about this. Uh, but they, they were not interested in us writing a, a, a definitive report on it. Uh, and that's really the extent of our conversation with our squadron commander on this issue. And when we left that office, uh, I, we couldn't even talk to um, uh, some of the men uh, who had been out there, um, the security guards. In fact, they called me the next day, um, one of them, and begged me, just begged me to come and see them uh, and talk to talk about this because they they were just um, dumbfounded, frightened. Uh, they, they wanted some kind of an explanation, which of course I couldn't give them. But I had to turn them down. That, uh, that kills me to this day. You know, it's that's an amazing emotional story that you're, that you're telling. You know, I, I feel that you know we're, we're all sort of part of. You know, what we're doing here is we're, we're recreating history in one way or another. And my feeling, Robert, is that um, you are, in fact, a inter- uh, really important part of that reconstruction of history. Uh, you know, the idea that the United States Air Force would trust you guys with all of these missiles and the national security of, of, of that responsibility is just absolutely massive. And then on the other side of their... Of their of their of their tongue, I guess is the, is the best way to put it. They throw you under the bus. Um, what emotional impact does that have on you? Well, of course, um, uh, at that time when when I signed that non-disclosure statement, of course I uh, I said, well, uh, you know, they, they must know something I don't know. Uh, I just have to follow orders. I, I was consider myself. Uh, uh, career man, you know, professional officer, and, and uh, so I was just going to keep that secret. Uh, uh, what, what, I, what I saw in 1994, by the way, I um, picked up this book called Above Top Secret. I hadn't talked about this incident. Uh, I got out of the service in 1971. I got an honorable discharge and just resigned because of the Vietnam War. But uh, 1994, I picked up this book, Above Top Secret, by Timothy Good, and uh, on page 301 of that book, it says uh, uh, a little paragraph, short paragraph, saying that uh, in 1967 these missiles were shut down during a UFO sighting. Uh, and that was it. And so I kind of got excited. Uh, uh, gee, maybe the Air Force declassified this. Uh, we sent a request under the Freedom of Information Act, and the Air Force wrote back and said, well, it's still classified, but the, because it's been so long, we've got to declassify the Echo Flight incident. And that, and I thought that was my incident at the time because it, it described it so well. Uh, so when they started sending documents back, that, that's when I decided to go for, uh, come forward and publicly start speaking about this incident as a UFO event. Uh, when I requested those documents, by the way, I didn't say anything about UFOs. Of course, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, um, I was determined to uh, get this out. I felt responsible uh, to talk uh, about this as a UFO event because that's exactly what it was. Um, uh, there were many, many witnesses to the, to the object, uh, and um, it's been supported uh, by many other people, like Ray Fowler, for example, 
was working at Sylvania. By the way, Ray Fowler, I got to give him credit uh, for uh, disclosing this initially. Uh, he gave uh, he gave um, an interview to the Christian Science Monitor in 1972. Um, he happened to be working for Sylvania, which had the electrical contract uh, for the Minuteman One missile, and uh, it was his uh, uh, people out in the field that reported to him. In fact, one of them saw the damn UFO. Uh, anyway, reported to him that. Uh, uh, these shutdowns were a UFO events, and and so it was Fowler that, uh, out of frustration, uh, um, uh, finally gave an interview to the Christian Science Monitor because the Air Force would release this information, and that's how Timothy Good got a hold of the information and put it in his book, which I saw in 1994. Robert, how do you have a handle on how? widespread or common it is for UFOs to shut down nuclear missiles in either the United well, States or other nuclear yeah. powerhouses? You know, I have to say uh, there, were, there are just two cases that I know of. Uh, in addition to the Malmstrom case, there was the Minot case in uh, 19, September of 1966. Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota. And this is what uh, David Shindelli testified to uh, during the citizens' hearing, that he was uh, relieved the crew on duty uh, that lost all 10 missiles during a UFO, during UFO sightings. Um, uh, that crew uh, is nameless as far as I know. I, I don't know their names. I don't know if Shindelli recalls their names, but Shindelli testified to that fact. So uh, that incident in September of 1966 and uh, the two incidents I talk about, Echo and Oscar, in March of 67 are the only incidents that I know of where missiles were actually shut down. Now, there, there were other cases where there were uh, signals that made spurious signals within the command capsule uh, during UFO event. Um, uh, there was one. Uh, well, there were, there were many. There have been many of those. Um, uh, again, in, in Minot, one at Ellsworth Air Force Base. And now, in, in 2010, um, again, this is um, uh, Francis C. Warren Air Force Base, um, and that's in Wyoming, uh, South east corner of Wyoming, bordering Nebraska. Uh, this is the year 2010. The Air Force reported, uh, or had to report because they're, they're getting a lot of calls, that uh, 50 missiles, Minuteman 3 missiles, shut down. They claimed it was a computer glitch, uh, which is, <laughs> I, I don't believe. And uh, we also have witnesses, uh, both civilian and uh, some witnesses from inside the base that that say they, they saw this giant, uh, large cigar-shaped object overhead during this missile shutdown. That's still something we're looking into to, to get verification, but um, um, those are the incidents that we know of. Can you describe, as you're relating this testimony to the six congressmen, former congressmen, can you, did you have a, a, a handle on 
you know, what they might have been not thinking necessarily, but what was the reaction? What was the reaction as you're relating this? I mean, this must have been brand new information to them. Uh, I think it was. I, 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 the reaction was deer in the headlights uh, look uh, from, from most of the panel, from what I could tell. Uh, they were in, amazed. They were amazed that we were giving this testimony. And it was not just me, but of course it was uh, David Shindelli, David Scott, and Bruce Fenstermacher um, that basically told the same story. Uh, UFOs over nuclear missile bases, or nuclear missile sites that impacted uh, the missiles. Um, uh, again, this is a national security incident by anybody's definition and the Air Force, uh, in official statement, has stated that no, no UFO incident has ever affected national security, which is an outright lie. And um, well, uh, we—it's it's not just these guys that testified at the citizens' hearing, but there are many others that will testify to the same kind of thing. Well, the, taking off on uh, Richard's question, I was in the room uh, sitting just to your left when you were giving your your testimony. And you have a very um, very clinical way <laughs> of presenting the information that's just absolutely mind blowing. You just have, have that sort of soft approach to to something that's that explosive. And I can attest to you that you may not have been looking at all of the uh, the congressmen, uh, congresswomen there at the time, but. It, your description of uh, you know deer in the headlights is exactly what they were shaking their heads, uh, Robert. They were just a completely uh, you know flabbergasted by what they were hearing, and that brings me to the point of not just them, but do you think that the Pentagon has been in one way or another shaken by the fact that their nuclear missiles are, can be tampered with so easily with these UFOs flitting in and out of our airspace, basically with impunity? These things come and go at will, with and have then uh, the United States. States government and its Air Force has absolutely no control over what's going on. Uh, what do you think is the feeling in the Pentagon about this? Well, I can only speculate. Uh, I do know that one of the documents we got back under the Freedom of Information Act was uh, a telex that from Strategic Air Command Headquarters that stated uh, uh, the fact that 10 nuclear missiles shut down for no apparent reasons is of grave concern to this command. So they use those terms, grave concern. Uh, and uh, we have other witnesses that have stated that uh, one in particular who was bringing back the echo birds back up uh, 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 remained overnight at Echo 1 and, and, and he said that the, the place was just crawling with Top brass uh, from uh, SAC headquarters. All right, Robert, let me just jump in here. Sorry to interrupt. We'll take a time out, come back, yep. continue our conversation with Captain Robert Salas, uh, UFOs and nuclear warheads. Here on The Conspiracy Show, Victor Vigiani joins us in studio from Zealand News Network. Don't go away. Welcome back. And this broadcast is the audio equivalent of Morpheus's Little Red Pill. Uh, we are speaking with Captain Robert Salas about UFOs and nukes and his testimony before the former congressman, six former congressmen at the uh, citizen hearing back in uh, late April. Um, Robert, one of the surprising uh, things that happened at that hearing was it actually 
was um, reported on by, I believe it was the New York Daily News. Uh, and my understanding was, first they wrote an absolute hit piece, uh, and there was such an outcry from the public that they had to send that reporter back and write a proper investigative piece. Uh, and that reporter uh, wrote about your testimony, and this was a mind-blower, um, described how you and the gentleman sitting across from me, Victor Vigiani, actually had contacted a representative, Peter King, who was the chair of the Homeland Security Committee in Congress, bringing this information to his attention. Now, what was Peter King's response? Well, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Mr. Friedman, I think was his name, wrote, wrote the piece for New York uh, uh, paper, uh, New York Daily News, I think it was. And he, he asked Peter King, after I mentioned the fact that um, uh, we had this ongoing initiative with um, contacting uh, Congressman King and, and giving him information such as what I just described to you. And, uh, and uh, King's uh, response was, oh, we get all kinds of crazy things from different people, uh, uh, like um, people like this one who has, uh, whose brain has been taken over by aliens or something like that. <laughs> It was it was pretty insulting. Uh, I, I felt insulted by it, especially since uh, uh, it was not just me, but uh, many others. Like I said, have, have given similar testimony. We we gave Mr. King. Uh, we've been right. We had been writing to Mr. King for over a year. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Victor, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, over a year, and um, and sending him all sorts of documentation, including. Uh, Affidavits from some of the witnesses about this. So he he knew very well. He should have known uh, because we had. Uh, I think Victor had documented pretty well uh, uh, receipt of this information and and, co- and also conversations with uh, uh, King's um, uh, people there. Uh, so it was it was a complete insult. Uh, I, I did get. It, it, a chance to rebut it uh, uh, at, at the time, and that, that rebuttal was printed in the paper. But I've also written another uh, another uh, statement about it uh, and published it on the web. Um, so let me just but, see if I can uh, let me summarize this. Let me see if I got this straight. Uh, Victor Vigiani and and yourself um, contacted the office of Representative Peter King, who was at the time the chair of the. Homeland Security Committee in Congress. You brought this right. testimony to his attention, going into great detail. Yes. Ten nuclear missiles shut down in 1967, earlier in 1966 at Minot Air Force Base. Uh, and his response, again, as chair of the Homeland Security Committee, was to basically attempt to slander and discredit you a former member of the U.S. military. That was his That's response. Right. 
let me get Victor in here because you were you were part yeah. of this campaign to bring this attention this to the attention of Representative Peter King, who has since stepped down. He's no longer chair. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's fair to say that the initiative began um, well before uh, December seventeenth, two thousand and ten, when. Robert and myself and a third party began putting together all the information and deciding to bring this forward to the to the congressman because we felt that uh, my goodness this man as as chair of such a committee would need to take this seriously and would obviously in fact do it and in conversation with his uh, legislative assistant and scheduler um, Michelle Ingerson um, I spent many uh, phone calls with her, and she assured me that once we faxed all the information to the the, the congressman, we faxed it all, complete uh, uh, several pages, a dozen pages easily, uh, with the affidavits and a covering letter and uh, lots of other information regarding the, the missile shutdowns. Uh, she actually confirmed to me that, yes, we, we've received the information and we will show it to the congressman. And uh, some of the conversations that I had with her were very terse after that. And she literally indicated to me that she had no time to deal with this. So she was a very busy person, and that so was the congressman. And, uh, you know, well, we'll give it to him, and he'll, he'll deal with it. And in those conversations, I clearly got the idea that not only were we being forced to uh, being put in a corner, you know, but I was also felt, I, I felt very strongly that we were, in fact, being lied to. So his office is not only uh, responsible for this this cover-up, uh, as well as the congressman. And I have no trouble uh, in a laying blame right out in, the, in that office. And I'm, I'm extremely upset that a congressman would react this way to a national security issue. All right, uh, Robert Salas, stay with us. Victor, you do the same. We'll come back and continue to discuss UFOs and nukes. Imagine, in this era of the national security state, the United States, nuclear missiles being taken offline while UFOs are hovering above a military, a nuclear military installation, and the government says nothing about it. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls... This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network stays with us in studio. On the line is Captain Robert L. Salas, a former U.S. Air Force captain, uh, talking about a UFO incident in Maelstrom Air Force Base in March of 67, where it was reported 10 nuclear missiles became non-operational at two different launch facilities immediately after guards saw UFOs hovering above. Just before the break, I mentioned uh, that uh, you, Victor, and another individual uh, sent this information to uh, Representative uh, Peter King, then the chair of the Homeland Security uh, Committee in Congress, and he essentially insulted you, Robert, and laughed off this entire uh, incident. Uh, Victor and I were just talking off air, and I was wondering, uh, in light of the, uh, you know, your testifying at the citizen hearing, it sounds like you may have six new allies, six former congressmen uh, in your in your corner. Have you given any thought, and I throw this out to Victor as well, have you given any consideration to this time having some or all of these uh, congressmen, former congressmen, trying to send this information to the new chair of the Homeland Security Committee in Congress? Uh, you know, could they as easily dismiss such uh, testimony coming from uh, their former colleagues. What are your thoughts? 
Oh, I think that's a great idea, Richard. <laughs> um, what what I had planned to do, and of course I've been involved in other projects like finishing my book, but what I still plan to do is um, send some of this material similar to what we sent to Congressman King to other members of the current Homeland Security Committee or Intelligence Committee on Homeland Security. Um, and, yeah, I think it would be an excellent idea to try to um, uh, get some of these congressmen that sat in on this uh, citizens' hearing to uh, uh, maybe write letters themselves to uh, some of these members. Uh, I'm sure some of them are, are known to these people. So I think that's an excellent approach. I think uh, Richard's. I think Richard's just given us another job, uh, Robert. I think so. I, think so. I, I just would like to uh, also reiterate, if I didn't mention it earlier, that uh, well after all of the communication with uh, with King's office, um, we decided to send uh, the exact same package of affidavits and covering letters, uh, not only to uh, King himself, uh, but we also did send. Uh, and I have the facts, uh, uh, documentation to, to illustrate this, copies of all of this to each member of the National Security uh, Committee in the House of Representatives, as well as to members of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security. And uh, we did not reach all of them because some of the facts uh, was, was not accepted, but well over uh, three-quarters of each one of those committees were, in fact, uh, confirmed as receiving this information. So uh, this stuff is out there. And as far as I'm concerned, if a good reporter gets a hold of this information, I consider that front-page news that two committees have not said anything about this in any way, shape, or form in a public matter that their ICBMs have uh, been controlled by off-world craft. Well, even if you take, let's take the UFO out of the equation. For sure. Just the fact that they were taken offline. Mm -hmm. Ten, in your case, uh, Robert, ten missiles taken offline in 1967 and in in 2010, as recently as 2010. I mean, the entire landscape, uh, yes, granted, the Cold War is over, but since 2001... 9-11. 9-11. The entire landscape has changed. The United States, you are living in a national security state. And for something like that to go unacknowledged, or whether it's the, the UFO incident uh, at O'Hare uh, Airport in Chicago, uh, you know, this is restricted, Class B restricted airspace. I don't care if it's a UFO or whether it's a Cessna or whether it's whatever. It doesn't matter. For that to go unacknowledged, by the people that are charged with, you know, keeping the nation safe. That, to me, as you say, Victor, is definitely front-page news. Uh, yeah, I think this also ties in with what's going on now uh, with regard to government secrecy. As you know, it's been in the news lately. But uh, there, that's one thing I write about in my, my new book, and, and that's the extreme secrecy in government uh, we have so much material that's being classified unnecessarily, and uh, we're, we're losing touch with our government uh, here in the United States and other places in the world because of this extreme secrecy. So that's the, the other aspect of this uh, that we're, we're trying to overcome. What 
Sorry, go ahead. For no, that. I just saying that, yeah, it's a good point. Uh, do you sense and and uh, having spent the week in Washington as a, as a Canadian, and, and it really is like dipping your foot into a, a, a different bucket of water completely because the the mindset of most Americans is uh, extremely patriotic and, and 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 all of that. However, I just sense this growing detachment uh, among the, the public uh, from them and their government and. Uh, I just don't know what, first of all, what's propelling that and how much further the American public is going to take that, that sort of uh, dissonance and, and react to it. Whether or not they will react to it uh, in terms of what the Obama government is doing and not doing in terms of secrecy. Is there any kind of feeling down there that people will respond to this kind of, of over, you know, pounding on their heads with this secrecy mallet? Uh, I, yes, I, I really do think the, the public has been outraged by uh, discovering that the NSA is listening to emails and phone calls and reading emails, things like that. Uh, I think that that outrage is going to is going to erupt uh, somehow. Um, uh, I, I have to believe that, it's, especially with the UFO question, that uh, they can't they can't suppress the truth of this indefinitely. So the initiatives that Stephen Bassett talked about, uh, as far as going to the United Nations, uh, we, we need those kinds of initiatives uh, to get uh, more world pressure uh, on the U.S. Uh, I think the U.S. is is kind of in the lead here in, in, the, in the overall cover-up, I call it cover-up. Uh, and so uh, I do believe pressure will come. What do you think, eventually. though, will, will lead to disclosure uh, quicker? A, a United Nations uh, hearing uh, uh, on this, similar, I guess, to the uh, the recent citizen hearing, or one brave reporter sitting, standing up at a... a um, a press conference or a briefing either at the Pentagon or at the State Department or at the White House asking that one-pointed question. What's going to bring disclosure faster? Well, I, I think the United Nations will. Um, the problem with a uh, re- brave reporter coming forward <laughs> is that uh, the administration has already um, uh, submitted to the public their take on the UFO issue. Remember, uh, both myself and Steve Bassett uh, I uh, got signatures for a petition petitioning the Obama administration to come clean about the UFO issue, and uh, and the response we got uh, is basically what UFO issue? There's there's nothing to this. Uh, it, of course, they didn't do any research. Uh, they just made the blanket statement that there was nothing to this. Um, so. If a reporter came to the White House and asked the same question, they would get the same kind of answer. Uh, this goes very deep. Of course, the secret uh, is held very deeply in, in the bowels of uh, intelligence agencies and other places in the Pentagon, and they're not about to um, uh, release the information uh, without um, uh, a very, very strong push uh, by the public and by, by the administration. Well, I think the idea of a United Nations initiative is an excellent one because it will, in in effect, um, you may or may not agree, Rob, but uh, take this out of the hands of the United States government. Uh, Now, that that, that points to the fact that the United Nations may be sort of a puppet organization of, uh, you know, 
the military and you know, governmental intelligence agencies within the United States. But the fact that the United Nations makes a statement about this and kind of removes it from the, uh, the, the realm of control that the United States has over this embargo, uh, it may well be the, the, the ideal placement of this issue on a national stage, or rather on an international stage. Right. Uh, I just returned from Brazil and gave a, a talk there, and uh, I'm, I'm really heartened by, uh, in, in April, I think, of this year, the Brazilian um, uh, Pentagon, equivalent of the Brazilian uh, Defense Department, met with uh, uh, UFO groups in, in Brazil and, and agreed to exchange of information. So, and, and that's going on in Argentina and Peru, other places down in South America, I'm, I'm heartened by the fact that there, there seems to be more cooperation by governments uh, with UFO groups. Uh, so possibly that will help spur uh, one of those countries to come forward in, in the General Assembly and uh, issue a statement. Of course, the incident that you were you were part of occurred during the height of the Cold War, uh, Robert. Have you ever right. had a, had occasion to speak with your former Cold War foes, your counterparts in the former Soviet Union, to find out if they've had similar incidents? I haven't spoken with anyone directly, um, but of course, uh, there was that case in 1982, I believe it was. Um, where uh, UFO was sighted over a Russian um, nuclear missile, and actually started the missile on its uh, its launch sequence. <laughs> it was actually going uh, to launch, and they were able to inhibit that in time. But um, uh, yes, there certainly have been incidents in, in the Soviet Union involving UFOs and nuclear weapons. All right. Well, listen, we look forward to uh, the release of uh, your new book. Unidentified. When when can we expect that? That's out right now. It is. uh, If you go to Amazon.com, you can purchase it through Amazon or any of your listeners. And again, the title is Unidentified. That's right. Captain Robert Salas, thank you so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon down the road. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, Victor, for for all you've done uh, in this effort. Appreciate your time. Captain. Captain Robert Salas. All right, so there you go, Victor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I think you're absolutely spot on when you say that that should be, uh, if all things were right in the world, that should be front page news, where nuclear missiles are taken offline, they become non-operational, and yet no one says anything mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, I just picture myself as a you know remote viewer or a fly in the wall, depending on how you want to look at it within uh, some of the intelligence agency offices or the Pentagon uh, once these things uh, either have happened or when they're discussed and what they actually say about them. And there's there's the idea that you know some of the officials don't know anything about the UFO issue or whatever it happens to be. But if even if you remove it, like you said, from the, the UFO, from the equation, these men have to be talking about the significant manipulation of massive weapons of mass destruction by forces beyond their control. I cannot see, how, for the life of me, how this cannot be an extremely dramatic a part of uh, American history that they're just not talking about. And that silence, to me, is just uh, deafening. Yes, further evidence of this uh, truth embargo. All right. Well, always appreciate your time. Good to see you again, my friend. Thanks for dropping by. You're most welcome.
Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network. All right, thank you to Tim Spreen for uh, production. Uh, back next week, what have we got on tap for you? Well, it'll be up on the website soon. Check it out, richardserrett.com. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.